0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish
1: Podcast.
2: It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James, and on today's podcast, we will be licking our wounds as Fulham come out second best in the West London Derby. The season may have restarted, and so has the misery. And we'll drown our sorrows and try and pick ourselves up for a big match at Leeds next week. And I'm joined on the podcast by Jack Collins.
1: Hello, listeners.
2: Don Betts.
1: Hello, hello. And George Cooper. How we doing? Four hosts, Sammy. Four host men of the apocalypse.
2: Oh, yeah. All four hosts together in uh, in one podcast. Well, uh, if If we all start asking the questions um, and not giving any answers, then uh, you'll know exactly the reason why. Um, Loads to get through in today's podcast. Um, Jack, let's kick off with some three-word reviews. I think that was a record yesterday. If you look on Twitter, um, there were, I think, 250-odd three-word reviews, and I know we've had lots in the past, but that has got to be up there with a record
1: yeah it's a there's it a lot of responses and a lot of very good responses i personally enjoyed mimi newsome's absolute slate of them where which all did quite well to be fair in terms of numbers second wave please uh, it was, it was especially the harshest of them but also auto chances blown usual fulham then artists still shit and don't deserve premier league um, wow. it was a, a real set ari odzer with rather have lockdown which i thought was good our old yeah. friend alfie bond another parker masterclass Uh, And our very own Adam Carson with Defend the Left.
2: Well, yeah, we'll get into that. It was a late hammer blow from the Bees, which... Leaves us not in a great position in the table. Although West Brom only picking up a point and Leeds losing today to Cardiff maybe does leave the door slightly open a little more than we thought it would be at around 2.30 yesterday. Um, I just want to quickly say before we get into the podcast, um, thank you so, so much um, to everyone that has supported us on Kofi last week. Um, I put a little advert at the beginning of last week's podcast and... I thought we'd get a few people. I really wasn't expecting the amount of people that um, have actually really helped us out and supported us and and chipped in a little bit towards the running costs of Fulhamish. I've been absolutely blown away. So um, it's hard to thank you all individually, although I will try and get round to it this week. But thank you so, so much uh, if you've backed us. It it really, really means a lot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. We've had some wonderful messages as well, which has been so nice to see and you know we appreciate it every single one of them
0: back up what you you guys were saying and say thanks to everyone who's back to us It's um, it was great top, top, great to see
2: great to see indeed it means the ish lives another day Um, let's get into the football then and well We'll start off with the lineup, Dom, and few unexpected changes in there. Probably the biggest one was Niskin's Cabano started on the left. Uh, there was no place for Abubakar Kamara. He wasn't in the squad at all. Presume he's injured. Harrison Reed came back in. Other than that, it was fairly expected, but certainly uh, the Cabano was a bit of a curveball that I don't think many of us saw coming.
3: No, and I, th- I think what didn't help is in Parker's pre-match press conference, he... Didn't really mention about if any players would be out for certain reasons, the likes of Josh Onama and Abu Kamara. Kamara. The only reason I knew that Josh Onama wouldn't be playing was because on flash scores, it usually tells you who's injured for each team, and Josh Onama was on the list for us on there. But, yeah, it was, apart from yeah, the the Kamara curve, not the Cabana curve, well, sorry, and... I don't know if I was expecting Anthony Knockhart to start. I don't know if that was something I was expecting, but it was actually probably one of the better performances he's had. In, I mean, that's not really that hard for Anthony Knockhart's performances for Fulham, but it's, yeah, I thought it was one of the better games. But yeah, yeah I think, you know, in the midfield, I was expecting Harrison Reed to come back in because, you know, before he got injured, he was one of the mainstays in the midfield. Albeit, I don't actually think our oh, win record or win percentage is actually that good with Harrison Reed in the side, but whenever he's in the side, he seems to be playing really well. So, yeah, it was good to see him back in the team. But yeah, I think, bar the uh, Niskin's Cabano curveball, it was pretty much what we were expecting
2: jack um your your, your thoughts on, on the opening half for fulham it was it was a cagey first half from both sides and we've seen that a lot this weekend in in plenty of the matches where it's just taken a while for players to to adjust to the pace of the game again obviously we did go closest through bobby deca reed but it, it wasn't a high quality first 45 at all was
3: it
1: no it was a little bit sloppy uh, a little bit cagey I suppose from both teams although we started slightly better than I was potentially worried we might um we, we looked like we were on the front foot for I'd say the first half an hour or so uh, and when we did you know most of the early running there was a couple of quite simple stops for, for Marek Rodak but Mitra had a couple of headers on target obviously the the Deco Dover Reed chant springs out and um uh, yeah I thought we did most of the early running and it, it was quite nice to see us spring out of the blocks if not fast then then at least not slow <laughs>
2: Um, and Coops, what, what was your thoughts of um how the cottage kind of atmosphere was? Obviously we've seen quite a few behind closed doors games now, but I I felt like it was just so weird watching Fulham at Craven Cottage with with absolutely no one in the stands, although I was quite a big fan of the crowd noise. It, it, it did us quite, it, we came out quite well out of it. I felt like um, I've never heard the Hamien so loud throughout the 90 minutes.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a shame that it's this, um, you know, the West London derby in which, is our first game back and it obviously would have been a very different story and it's, it's the one you look forward to and it's always going to be loud in those sort of circumstances. But I thought the crowd noise was fantastic and it really made me laugh did you see the I can't remember it might have been in the daily sport but a few sharp-eared listeners picked out that they played Fuck Chelsea, essentially over the yeah. yeah yeah. So I thought that was that was good that the uh, the pe- person in charge of that managed to sneak that one in. I don't know whether it was intentional or not, but uh, yeah, I saw Scott Parker said after the game that he was a fan of it, and they're going to sort of ask the team whether it made a difference. But even any advantage, no matter how small, I think it's got to be a good thing. You know, you've got to take advantage of it.
2: Well, Jack, let's move on to the second half because there really wasn't much else to talk about in the first. And this is the point where Fulham, I felt, really did start to pick up the ascendancy in this game. And Mitrovic, it was an epic battle between him and Pontus Janssen. and And he was really starting to get the better of him. You know, he got two or three good headers on goal. And, and he was unfortunate not to score with, with at least one of them. He just kept hitting them quite near to, to Raya, who who actually did pull off a couple of good stops in goal. But, you know, as much as we can lament this performance, and yes, large elements of it weren't good enough, it, it could have gone completely a different way. And we'd be all here saying, what a great job Parker did because of a 1-0 win over Brentford today.
1: Yeah, to a point. Um, I, I think that Mitrovic, did start to get the better of Janssen. I actually, I kind of disagree with you. I think the the headers that he did get on target were all quite weak in term there was one where you'd say Reg made a good save, but it was, it was at him. Apart from that, there was a couple of quite easy snaffles for the keeper. And I think if you're giving Mitrovic four headers on target, which is what he did, you know, achieve during the game, he's got to be at least, you know, really working the keeper with two of them. Uh, and I hmm. think that maybe he needs to do a little bit better w- with some of those chances. And you look, know, it's, it's it's not easy to slate him in this because he's got in front of his man, he's got you know a head on the ball, he, he's done well to get there. But you know things like the Joe Bryan cross in the second half that goes either side of the goalkeeper, he scores. And yeah. I don't know. I think a fully firing and fully fit Mitrovic probably puts that away. And and look, that's not necessarily his fault. I'm not I'm not laying this blame at his door by being like oh. You know he he necessarily hasn't worked hard enough. where I just think that little bit of rust potentially showed, and those headers at Raya, you know, ended up being the difference between potentially winning that game and, and ending up losing it.
2: Um, I mean, the one that annoyed me with Mitrovic was the goal that he did score that got disallowed. I actually thought it was quite lazy from Mitro to not make sure he was on side once Norgard gave it away in Fulham were in the ascendancy. I I was a bit frustrated with Mitro for that because there was actually no need for him really to be offside. He didn't gain yeah. all that much of an advantage from it.
0: It's it's just the sharpness, isn't it? It's the it's the match fitness and not not only the sorry the fitness, but they're just being mentally there. And you you've seen it with the other games with the Premier League games. It's just the games being played at quite a fast pace, but it's just it's just sloppy. And there's you know, that, that intuition and that spatial awareness that players you know is so finely tuned and just I think it would just take a couple of weeks to, to get back I agree with what you boys are saying however yeah is, is it? I feel like it will return
2: I mean Dom let's have a word um, on Harrison Reed yesterday he was back in the middle of the park it's the first time he's played since New Year's Day and he, he was immense in, in the centre of the park and, and he was rightly picked out by the Sky commentators plenty of times. He not only is good at marshalling the back four and winning the ball back, but when he does, it's always such a calm and measured pass either to TC or out wide to, to Brian or Adoy. He always he, he really added something to our game and we will come on to the fact that when he had to go off with 10 minutes to go, well, Fulham basically <laughs> fell apart.
3: Yeah, it was. He wasn't like the same sort of number six we'd have on the side when you have the likes of Ken McDonald in the team. He was. He had a bit more mobility to the side, but still that like defensive awareness, playing in, in the in the deeper role to You know, mop up the ball and play it out wide. There was one. There was one moment where he was sort of on the floor and then slide out to, to scoop the ball away from the Brentford player. And I think eventually, won a free kick. And I think that exactly shows you know that typifies what he's brought to this team. And even before his injury, I thought he was probably our best midfielder. Um as I said, I, I think I mentioned before, I don't think our win record actually with him in the side is actually that good. But what well, you can see whenever he's in the team that, you know, he makes a big difference in the middle of the park. You saw how different it was when Harry Arter came on. I don't know how bad the knock he, he got was. He, he looked like he was limping. But yeah, it was, he just had something completely different to that midfield. I think I don't what one thing I am not, maybe not wary about, but I always feel like when he does play, I always feel Kenny doesn't have his best games. I don't know about just he's just not playing that well. Or if it's that you know, it can do those two work in the same midfield? If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. there's a question about this from Adam Leonard. He says, for all his plaudits and decent performance, does Harrison Reed take away from TC's strength? I'd be interested to think what you think, Sammy.
2: Well, I, <laughs> do you know what? I was literally had that question ready and primed to ask you. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure I agree at all. I felt like. Although TC wasn't at his best yesterday and clearly is, is still a little bit rusty, I feel like Harrison Reed allows Tom Kearney t- to get forward and not have to worry about some of the dirty work bef- behind him. I actually s- surely think that Harrison Reed bolsters Kearney's performance yesterday and, and I feel like he brought the rest of our team with him and, and gave us a fighting chance and was a reason that for large sways of this match, I did think that... We were on top. I I I think if there was anything to, you know, be annoyed about yesterday with Fulham's performance, it was just a complete lack of clinical edge uh, edge in the final third, and the fact that the only chances we made were basically half chances to Mitro on his head, mostly from from the foot of Joe Bryan from deep crosses. the fa- the, the fact that we're not creating enough clear cut chances is the worry, not the fact that um, TC isn't having enough freedom because of Harrison Reed. I'd I i, I do not know. What do you think?
1: Well, I think there's something to be said for the fact that with without Harrison Reed, and bear in mind we have been without Harrison Reed for quite a lot of the season. Um, mm. Something that's worth thinking about is that with Arter in there or McDonald in there or even Johansson in there, Kenny has to do a lot more kind of eight work. Let's call it, you know, being the eight, being up and down, doing a little bit more at the back, win not necessarily winning the ball, but carrying the ball from deep. With Har- with Harrison Reed there you don't necessarily have to do that and it's quite a change in pace to suddenly go from being an you know being that kind of i have to go box to box a little bit to to almost being a free eight and this is a term that pep guardiola coined when he used to play David Silva and, Pe- and Kevin De Bruyne ahead of Fernandinho. And what Fernandinho did was he freed them both up to just basically do what they want. And it's what United need for allowing Pogba and Fernandes to play together. But actually, I think that it's quite a weird thing to, to come into. So, Kenny's now been like, right, your shackles are off. Go and play a little bit higher up. And and naturally, he's gravitating backwards because of the way that he's played throughout most of the season. And I thought a little bit him and Harrison Reed ended up on top of each other. Here and there, but I do think over the long term, if they can get that to work, it's actually
3: what will free Kearney up to to make a more creative attacking impetus in the final third. With with the Harrison Reed and Tom Kearney situation, I, what what I do feel is like as he, as Jasmine say, I kind of felt like with Kearney yesterday, he didn't really know what his job in the midfield was. If that makes sense, because he had Bobby Reed ahead of him, obviously. In the second half he was playing a lot further up t- up top towards Mitrovic, but I felt like at times. He felt lost in the game. I think he, he had the ball in the middle of the park and he wasn't quite sure what his next move was. I think one thing that didn't help this was probably that it, what we didn't have, you know, constant uh, bombing on from the likes of Doy and Brian all the time. So I think sometimes he, he had the ball in midfield and wasn't too sure because I think he's been used to when it hasn't been, you know, like Harrison Reed and side, he's been obviously playing a different role in the in, in, in in deeper, deeper midfield. And yeah, I feel like it's not like it makes Kenny not as good. I just thought Kenny had quite an average game yesterday, so maybe that's why Kenny looks average. But I do think there were times where he looked lost and he didn't know what the next ball was or what the next pass to play was going to be.
0: It almost it's worth questioning whether cuz you say whether Kenny and Reed can play together. It's the other Reed, maybe Kenny and Bobby Reid, because when he's got that Bobby's got the advanced role as you say Kenny looks sometimes like he's in sort of no man's land a bit he's not 100% certain of his of his role. So I feel I feel like it's down to Scott Park to really outline their role within each of the central midfielders I mean if you look at, if
2: you look at Kenny's last match uh, against Bristol City which I think is probably TC's best overall performance of the season and and Bobby Reed played well in that match as well. And they, and they played well together. You are right. Jack is that Kenny was doing a lot more of the dirty work in that game. He was tackling and or, trying to get us forward from deep. And he wasn't just being a, a nice fancy number 10, uh, just outside the edge of the deep you know doing slide rule passes um, in between defenders and fullbacks and and maybe that is more kearney 's game now, and that is when we get the best out of Tom kearney is when he 's actually doing a bit more of the dirty work, which I kind of never thought i 'd see, but surely that 's something that Scott Parker can work on i don 't think it 's a case of if Harrison reads there Kearney can 't play maybe it 's just something that. Parker needs to tweak and, and say to Kearney, look, just because Harrison reads there doesn't mean that you just now get to be uh, a nice, fancy, frilly number 10 that doesn't really add much to the midfield.
1: Yeah, well, I also think that Kenny did OK for a large majority of yesterday's game. He was all right. But what he did do was he was very kind of almost weirdly unsure when he was carrying the ball forward into the opposition half. And, you know, normally you see him drive and you know, he checked back on himself and sort of laid the ball out to Joe Bryan a lot. And, and I thought that was a weird kind of moment for him because, you know, he was picking the ball up, driving towards the edge of the box. You'd kind of like to see him get a shot away here and there in those kind of situations, especially given the goal he scored against Bristol City, the goals we've seen him score this season. Uh, it felt like there were opportunities for him to to maybe line one up and he didn't really take them. He took the kind of, I wouldn't say easy way out. That's a bit harsh, but you know, he took the kind of sensible option, if you will. Uh, and look, that's nothing to necessarily criticise him for. But I thought it was weird that he felt kind of unsure of his own ability to, or not ability, but or or sense of kind of I'm outside the box, in Kenny range, I should probably release here. And instead, he kind of looked for that wide ball quite a lot, which I thought was maybe it's just rust. Maybe he doesn't want to start mm-hmm. firing balls into the stands, you know, first game back in in a derby. But equally, I would like to have seen him. There was quite a lot of space in the middle there, and I'd quite like to have seen him take that opportunity or take that chance a little bit more.
0: Yeah, it was, it was a bit lethargic. I'd say that was the best, that would be the best way to describe his performance. And you, you saw it when he got dispossessed in the middle. I can't remember the Benford player that dispossessed him. Oh, uh, They Yeah, quite a dangerous attack. Yeah, had quite a dangerous attack from it. But again, it's the same with Mitrovic. I think it's, just that spatial when these players haven't played a competitive game in so long now, it's just that spa- it's spatial awareness and just that sharpness that you get with full game fitness. And I think it will start to come back and we just got to hope that we get to that stage as quickly as possible.
2: Um, you mentioned Joe Bryan there, um, Jack, and um, he was my next port of call. Um, I mean, I don't know where he was for the goal. That is not necessarily criticizing Joe Bryan. He just wasn't in the left back position was in the middle.
1: He was playing um, centre-back for some reason.
2: And, well, Tim Ream was kind of the closest defender. Knockart was there. But overall from Joe Bryan, um, not, not a shining performance from him. And, again, frustrating because you felt like going into lockdown, Joe Bryan's defensive performances were really, really picking up. And, again, I feel like we're, we're maybe back to, to square one on this one. And if we're going to see lots of performances from the likes of him that we did at the beginning of the season, then, well, then – we're, we're not going to be challenging for the top two very, very easily.
1: Yeah. And before I let Dom absolutely annihilate him, because I know he's gagging <laughs> to do so, like it is one of those things where it's easy to criticise Joe Bryan because he, he didn't have a particularly good game. I agree with that. And yet he still created our most dangerous chance. He, he still was the player that, that looked like he was most likely to provide an assist. And, and look, there's, there's been a lot of chat about this. And we were talking about it on Hot Mike because, you know, people are like, oh, left back's job is to defend. And... I, <laughs> I mean, I agree to a point. I think that the, the fullbacks are a, a very changed role to what they used to be 10 years ago. You know, you, you, the best role fullback in, in the Premier League 10 years ago or 20 years ago was, was Gary Neville, who was a very no-nonsense right-back. Do you know what I mean? And now it's Trent Alexander-Arnold, whose defensive capability is fine, but frankly, it's actually his attacking impetus that he's most useful for, and it's what he kind of brings to the team. And so I kind of... There's a point here where, where Joe Bryan brings so much going forward, that, you know, you don't excuse defensive mistakes. I'm not suggesting that you suddenly just be like, oh, it doesn't matter if you don't defend. I'm not taking it to that extreme. What I am saying is that he brings so much going forward and those seven assists that you speak for themselves that you actually start to be like, okay, if we took Joe Bryan out and played Dennis Adoy there, you get a little bit more defensive solidity. Yes, agreed, 100%. But how much do you lose going forward? How many games do you draw nil-nil instead of winning one nil? Or, you know, do you take away those things as well? So... There's there's a kind of balance here, and yes, he goes missing for the goal. I'm not sure why he's in the centre of the park. I imagine he's tried to to dip inside to to get someone else to to go out there. Whoever's playing left you know left wing at that time. You said Anthony Knockart was out there, and the closing down out there was dreadful. And he should have been wide, as far as I'm concerned. But at the same time, you look at that and you think. There's probably some sort of system that's supposed to be in place here. It's just not been affected
3: properly.
2: Yeah, well, for the prosecution, Tom Betts.
3: He was just rubbish. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, 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 I said going into the game, right, clean slate. I'll give him a chance. Then within five minutes, he was making defensive mistakes. There was one in the first half, which six in mine in particular. It, it, I think it was, they, they were bombing down the right-hand side. They, they, they were coming inside towards... Tim Reamon. And Joe Bryan's moved across with Tim Reamon to middle of the park, completely uh, leaving over this place of Fosa to to whip the ball into the box. I just I, I, I do agree with Jack that you know you, you can't ignore his cross... He's probably the only player in a team who can cross the football. Um, but, but and, his, and his connection with Mitrovic. But you've still got to have the basic competence to know how to defend and he doesn't have that.
2: But he, who did you put in there instead?
3: I said at half-time I would have taken him off and put Doyle in the left and put Christie on the right-hand side. And if, if it's me saying I want Cyrus Christie in the team, there's definitely. Something I was going to
1: say if Dom Dom Betts mm. is advocating for Cyrus Christie, you know
3: you've got a problem.
2: But then, where is you know he he's assisted seven times for Mitrovic
3: this season alone. Yeah, but how, many, how, how many Yeah, but he may assisted seven times, but how many goals have been his fault? How many goals?
0: Yeah, that's a good. There's a good question there. So Jack, you you say you can't ignore his uh, attacking impetus, but do you think what he brings to the team going forward outweighs
1: what his defensive frailties? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think I think Joe Bryan is a net positive on this side.
2: Okay, well, well, uh, we'll move on. I mean, generally the goal w- was a sucker punch, and unfortunately, I did have to speak briefly with Billy the B after the match. And, and trust me, <laughs> I briefly? tried.
1: To- I had to go on their bloody podcast.
2: <laughs> well in the brief 2 minute conversation I had to have with him um he was there saying oh we we managed it brilliantly we 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 held you off we held you off and then we struck late it was brilliant and I was just like oh shut up billy I just really want this conversation to end as soon as possible but he had a um, point George, to be fair <laughs> Well yeah I was going to say George what what's, what is your thoughts on on how they did manage the game it was it was a perfect you know, smash and grab from their point of view?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think for, you know, the vast majority of that game, we were in in charge. And even though we weren't as potent up front as we would have liked to have been, we we were controlling the game. And then I spoke to it with Jack um, when we had our sort of debrief on Instagram live after the match. And I think you summarized it very well, Jack, in that it came down to substitutions, you know, B's made some fantastic changes. They brought on Masondas um, for Jensen. And that, you know, he scored one and assisted one, like completely changed the game. And our Scott Parker's changes were reactive rather than proactive. And it was just too little too late. And you think like, the match fitness cannot be where it should be. And we, we just made far... Two little substitutions. You think you know? You had Knockart playing. A, I thought he was very good. By the way, I'm not trying to slate him. He was very it was good. One of better I think games, he, I think he's that. It was, yeah. But but even said, I think he should have been brought on for fresh legs at about 70 minutes. He played pretty much a full game. Like he came, he came off at the 90th minute. He hadn't seen for Reed on the 90th minute. I think that bees made the changes that um the substitutions that changed the game and then we just did too little too late and it the, the game was beyond us in the, these situations you need to you know be make impactful substitutions for example if which
3: is, I think Scott Parker's never made one of those. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, I mean, apart from bringing um, Cavero on for Cabano uh, around seventy minutes, I think it was there, there was just there was just nothing. It was just too late, too late, and they took advantage of of the tiring legs and and fair play to them. I, I, they completely outplayed us.
2: Well, I mean, there is one effective substitution that Scott Barger's made a few times this season, and it's normally Abubakar Kamara who comes mm. on the pitch and does something good. He, um, he did it in quite a few games um, leading up to lockdown several times. Obviously, I think the, the most famous one was his cross um, for Mitro against Swansea, where he came on late and, and changed the game. Is that, and you look at the bench, okay, yes, he was able to bring on Cavalero, yesterday, but it wasn't the most inspiring bench ever. You had, you had Bettinelli, LeMarchon Christie, Cessignon, McDonald, Arta Johansson. The only two really attacking players were, were Sylvester Jasper, who, you know, well done to the lad. It's his first game and um, I'm sure he, he's really proud to make his debut, but not exactly the the barnstorming change you need later on in a West London derby and Cavallero. I think not, Kamara would have, been a good impact sub yesterday and potentially could have been a match winning sub but is that all we've really got in our locker I and mean, we talk about strength and depth but maybe there isn't much I don't know are we deluding I think, ourselves I think
3: one point one of the problems you do have here is when you squeeze Bobby Reid into the midfield yeah we I think that's the problem we've, we've 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 pretty much got all our good attackers on the field at one time and mm. it leaves maybe one or two on the bench and if you don't have Kamara and you know if, if you not look at Nockar and you look at Caviera especially those two I don't think either of them are bench players, as in, I think they're players who need to start a game if they're going to play. I don't think either of them really ever have an impact off the bench. And I think, you know, the likes, well, I'm not saying we should start Nolkart and Caviar every single game because they can't do anything off the bench. But I just feel like they, they just don't offer anything off the bench. Where someone like, as you said, a Kamara, if we had him, I think we probably could have done something different in the game. You, you know, I'm not saying, we all know he's not got the technical quality, but, you know, his his physical presence just completely scares the vendors. And I think that was that's the biggest problem. We we have so many attacking players. You think you you know Kenny, Bobby Reed, Nocar, Mitrovic, and Cabano. You know that's five attacking players, all play all playing at once. There, I feel like you you just, you will just run out of options to bring off the bench.
1: Yeah, I mean to take this further, right? I I don't think that Scott Parker had particularly was particularly blessed with options. Oh, we know he wasn't in, in terms of attacking sense yesterday, right? And. And it all comes down to this, because like George said, I've been banging this drum about proactive and reactive changes for so long. About 70 minutes, we lost control of the midfield. We didn't lose control of you know, the flanks, we lost control of the midfield. Now, Scott Parker wasn't blessed with offensive options, right? You're you're absolutely right. He had Sylvester Jasper and Ivan Cavallero, and Dom is absolutely spot on. Cavallero very rarely makes a difference off the bench. He's a player that grows into games and he needs that kind of long-term start kind of into it to to really get going. And, And I think that that's no fault of Scott Parker's. And if he had Kamara and he had Cabano on the bench, they're kind of more impactful players in that regard. However... We did have was McDonald, Johansson, and Arter on the bench. We lost control of the midfield, and Scott Parker made no changes to rectify that from seventy minutes onwards. When Harry Arter came on for Harry Reed, uh, for Harrison Reed, and so what you look at there is you go, okay, we've completely lost the middle. We're getting overloaded down both sides because they've stretched us. Ben Ramas come into the middle. He's absolutely running the show now because Baptiste's gone wide. Marcondes has gone onto the other wing. They're, they're starting to overload us and it felt like there was a goal coming. It felt like we were under the cosh. The rear guard action was right in. And I said it on the hot mic about three minutes before they scored. I was like, it feels like something bad is coming. And what Scott Parker didn't do was rectify that. What I would have done at that point was take Knockart off, bring on your Hanson, send Bobby Reed out wide and regressed some of that control in the middle to be able to, to start to battle them for the ball back. We don't do well as a counter-attacking size. You know, we have to we have to bear in mind that when when we play well, it's because we're controlling the game and, and and really starting to to dictate play and dominate play. When we lose control of that and we lost it, it was we were unable to create anything. We were unable to get out of our own half. Mitchridge was unbelievably isolated and we therefore lost the game. A, a manager like Thomas Frank, who's also a rookie, bear in mind, you know, he yes, he's had a little bit more first team experience than Then Scott Parker, but he's also a recently rookie manager here, took off two players, made some brave changes, brought on Baptiste, won the control, brought Rama into the middle and won the game for Brentford. Parker waited with his three changes. Parker made two individual changes, which mean that if he had to make another sub, it would have to be a triple change to use all of his options. And what he did was he waited for something to happen before he made that change. That's not the sign of a manager that wins you games. That's the sign of a manager who's not sure in his own ability.
2: Well, we've said it plenty of times this season that Fulham is not a side that also comes well back from behind. And, and Scott Parker likes getting his nose in front and then likes making kind of defensive changes that solidifies that. And And it did seem like once Fulham didn't get the goal that maybe our play deserved in that kind of 60 to 70 minute period that we looked devoid of ideas. They actually did a close-up of uh, uh, of Parker on the bench and he kind of was just, I mean, maybe it might have just been an unfortunate time for the camera to pick on him, but he just looked a bit like, Oh God, I don't know what I'm going to do here. And and it, it felt like you were screaming out at him, like just do anything like regain control of this match. And, and he waited too long and, and Brentford are, are, are much the better for
1: it. Yeah, we paid the price.
2: Well, I mean, obviously late on uh, Brentford went and made it two. There wasn't really much that could be said about it. We were pushing for an equalizer and I thought Marcondes did, did really well to kind of make the most of the numerical advantage that they had and, and slam it home home. Um, elsewhere in the championship, uh, we kind of thought that that might be it for Fulham after managing to not get three points and it still still could well be. West Brom only though picked up a nil-nil draw against Birmingham and uh, as you may have seen earlier on Sunday, um, Leeds lost away at Cardiff but Brentford now breathing down our necks just one point behind. Um, Don, where do you think this leaves the championship top two race? Um, I saw Tom Greatrick's message to say we're just as close to being outside the playoffs as the, as the top two so maybe we should be looking over our shoulder more than, than aiming for automatic promotion. Well, what, what, what do you think?
3: I think it's pretty much where it was before kickoff yesterday. Really, with the other results, well, we're only one point further away from the top from the top two. Yes, you know we've we've got to play them, which you can obviously as a positive or a negative. I think you have got to see it as a positive, really, because I think you know in stages. Yes, like yesterday wasn't everyone sort of you know is reacting to the loss, but I don't think the performance yesterday, if you're looking at the game as a whole, was that bad. I think yeah. that it was a, it was a lot better than I was expecting anyway, um, but yeah, I think you still got you still got to be positive about it. We've still got to play the top two. We got and I, I always think we do up our games against the big teams. You know, you got you got you got to see Brentford. I think as just a bogey team. You know, we've beaten them once as we've come down to the championship. If you don't include um, the Carabao Cup or League Cup game, whatever it was called at the time. Um, yeah, I think I think you still will be fairly positive especially with the results. It's also just annoying with the results so we couldn't take advantage of them, but you know there are there are teams creeping up from behind, but I don't think we need to worry about dropping out of the playoffs completely. I think that, you know, if we if you know if we do play Leeds next week and we get three points, I think everyone's going to be like, "Oh, we can we can do this again." So, I think it is pretty much back to where we were pre-kickoff yesterday, especially with the results that have happened uh, this weekend.
2: Georgie, are you still confident? I feel like you're you're a bit like me. You are you are generally an optimist.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And this is how many times we said
0: this. This league is just it's been begging for someone to just run away with it, and we've just not seen it. And every time we think that that's you know our hopes for top two dead and buried, something happens, and we're right back in it. I, I think generally I'm looking more towards the top two than behind our shoulder. I think we're you know we're we're pretty much dead on, but. Dead on, you know, certain to to finish in these uh, playoff spots, but no, I'm 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 very positive, and I, I think that if we can go and give um, go and give Leeds a game and beat them as we did at the cottage earlier in the year, then. You know we're, we're right back in this, and I just think it's 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 so strange and it's so hard to predict what with everything that's happened and the way that the league has like restarted. You, you just, it's just almost impossible to call. I, I do agree with Dom, and I think that you can just write off Brent. You know, Buggy side we just never, unfortunately, just never seem to do well against them. But I think we're going to up our game and yeah, give Leeds a good game. And then yeah, I'm I'm, I'm looking more towards the top two. I don't think it's over just yet.
2: Um, Jack, what do you think the panic will be on the, uh, on the Richter scale uh, if, we, uh, if we lose to Leeds uh, at, at the weekend?
1: I don't think there'll be panic. I think it will just be a kind of. You, I mean, really? <laughs> I just think it'll be one of those kind of like, it's done. You know, I, I think we've been let off the hook here. And, you know, we, we talked about it before, but at, at 2 30 on, on Saturday afternoon, we were like, well, that's, you know, that's it, it's over. And other results have, have let us off that hook um i still think it's going to be unbelievably difficult even even with west brom having to play us and brentford and even with us having to play leeds and, and i think even a result against leeds would potentially put the uh, the panic levels up in a, in yorkshire up a few notches um, but I, I think if we lose that game it's going to be one of those ones where we we'll are be like well that's it we're in the playoffs and and that's kind of how we felt at at 2.30 on, on saturday so it is one of those now where i think that if we get anything out well if we win this game it's a bonus if it's a draw then we're no closer and if it's a loss then i imagine that's the end of the end of any sort of lingering pipe dreams about about automatic promotion so so that's where i am with it and i don't think that there'll be a panic as much in the same way unless we get absolutely thumped
0: i think we've got an advantage in that it's theirs to lose and yeah. it's, you know, the, the general consensus is that, you know, we're, we're in the playoffs and we've got everything to gain and they've got everything to lose. And I think if you're in that headspace, that's when, you know, the nerves really start to creep in and mistakes. We've seen it with Leeds. How many times have we seen Leeds fall apart? Like it, it, I, I, I suspect they'll be feeling pretty shaky going into the game.
2: I guess from my point of view, there is the thing of you lose to Leeds. You've lost two out of the first two post lockdown. You're then going into a, you know a tough looking Rangers match. I mean, uh, they lost to Barnsley yesterday. They're not exactly um, covering themselves in glory. But you know, the longer that wait for a win post, this is like a new season. It isn't a new season, but it basically feels like one. And yeah. and the longer that that gap goes on without a win, I, I do genuinely think there will be panic amongst the fan base because we will just want to get the monkey off our backs. And and before long, we might actually be fearing for our place in the playoffs I don't think that will happen but I I still think there's every possibility right we've witted on long enough let's get into your questions there was absolutely loads of them
0: would you like the latest Fulham breaking news straight to your phone I thought you might if so sign up to the Fulhamish whatsapp channel and you'll receive regular match day updates transfer updates breaking FFC news and podcast alerts it's 100% free and you can opt out anytime if you want. To sign up, go to fullamish.co.uk forward slash WhatsApp and follow the instructions. That's fullemish.co.uk forward slash WhatsApp.
2: Welcome back to part two of the Fullamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Hello listeners. Tom Betts. Hello, hello. And George Cooper.
0: Hello, hello.
2: Okay, right. Let's get into your questions that came through on Twitter today. Uh, the first one from Russ SW6. Uh, this might have been slightly better one uh, for some of the more statsy people amongst our ranks, but I'm sure you boys uh, can do uh, a fine job of it anyway. Uh, it's the Championship 1920 table based on XG or expected goals, and it it makes for some interesting reading. I'm not normally one. Um, Um, who, who really cares too much for the stats but it's certainly interesting it's got Leeds first Brentford second West Brom third Sheffield Wednesday in fourth um, remarkably and and even more remarkably Stoke City in fifth which probably says a lot about the the quality of the table it has Fulham down in ninth Um, Russ SW6 says does this reflect the undynamic way Parker plays um, with Fulham too much reliance on top players to get the team out of jail Uh, Jack your thoughts on this this
1: yeah i mean we we've spoken about this all all year right we rely on those moments of magic and the kind of individual uh talents within our squad to, to make things happen and it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world i don't think it's that sustainable um as, as a kind of model so you do have to kind of hope that we do kind of diversify that strategy and and find some sort of way of playing through teams we do look to our kind of star players we look to Mitrovic to to score goals that you know, you don't expect other championship strikers to score. You look to Cavalero to sort of bend one top bins from the right. You look to Kenny to do the same from the left. Uh, and I think that given all that, it is a little bit of a worry. I, I mean, the other, you know, the flip of it is you say, that's taken us this far, you know, can it, can it take us over the line this year? And, and often it is moments of magic that that make things happen in the playoffs and, and in places like that, where, where things do rely on the individual, but, I mean, I don't think it's a sustainable strategy for, for a long term project. And I think that if you look at a lot of the, the figures surrounding Fulham, I know that Ted Nutson tweeted something today about the way that, that Fulham set up and, and the way that we, we're just not particularly good from dead balls and a lot of different things that we've been complaining about for a long time. Then I do think that you look at that and think mm, long term, we're going to have to find a way through this that isn't the way that we're currently doing it.
2: Um, Next question is from Ryan Byrne. Uh, Dom, I'll send this one your way. Uh, Whilst Hector is defensively solid, it seems that his distribution was really subpar. He sent several balls into the stands and um, probably a few into the river as well. Um, He says, do the stats bear this out? I'm not expecting you to have the stats um, straight off the bat, but... um, this may be the first murmurs of discontent that I've really heard um, surrounding Michael Hector. I mean, we've had a couple of times where his distribution's not been the best. I, I generally think it's because he, he, he takes, you know, he does quite a lot of long balls and I guess sometimes they're not going to pay off, but uh, your thoughts on this, please.
3: Yeah. I, th- I, th- I thought it was, I'm not saying it was his worst performance, but it wasn't, you know, up to, up to this, up to what the type of performance we've received, Michael Hector before lockdown. But I don't think it was too. I think the distribution throughout the entire team was pretty poor yesterday. Yeah. I don't think it was. I think it was just Michael, the amount of times I saw Rodat ping a ball out wide, and we just lose it or go out of play. So I don't think it was necessarily something on Michael Hector. I mean, the stats will probably prove me wrong, but you know, knowing me, I'll probably just argue with the stats anyway. Um, but I think that yeah, I think it was just poor distribution as a whole out the back yesterday. I don't think it was necessarily Michael Hector' problem. Michael Hector was still def- doing his main job as a defender well yesterday. So I don't think it's anything to be too worried about or concerned about.
2: Okay, um, George, I'll put this one your way. Brett Pund, I know it ended poorly, but are we being a little harsh about the performance? Um, if any of Mitro's chances go in or Bobby Reid's chance that hits the bar goes in, Fulham likely see out the game like many other times this season. Brentford are fourth and didn't do much either. I I do kind of agree s- slightly with Brett, but then temper that with the fact that we didn't do an awful lot yesterday and, and, and our amount of chances we created were... were were pretty shoddy, but he has got a point here.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, if if you, let's not forget, Brentford are a very, very good side, and we had some very good chances. I know they weren't perhaps as abundant as we would have liked, but we did nonetheless have some good chances. You know, we had a few tepid headers from Mitro, but. It, on other day, you know, if that's if that's half a half a meter closer to his head, that goes in the, the back of the net. And, you know, Bobby Decker, Dover Reed, Reed, hit off the crossbar. We we uh, essentially we were we did create chances. It's not as if we you know didn't have a shot on target all game. So I and obviously yeah, Brentford are a good side, very solid defensively. They've got arguably the best centre back in the league. I think that it's it's it was unfortunate, and obviously it's Brentford. And I think everything gets amplified when you've got the emotions of a of a derby. But overall, it was just it was just one of those days where it wasn't our day, and, and we are we are creating chances. It's just they, 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 it was the finishing, and it, they weren't quite as we weren't as clinical as we should have been. But you know, if, if we if we get two of those shots in, we've. You know, it's it's a very different story. So I don't I don't think that it's too much cause for concern. The chances were there we just weren't as um the finishing wasn't there to, to match them, unfortunately. But no, I don't I don't think that I need to be concerned just yet.
1: Yeah, I mean George is absolutely right. Derbies amplify things because the emotions of the locality turn things up to the max, right? And um, we were okay for, for large periods of it and and yeah, but we we didn't create you know aside from the Mitrovic chance in the second half you're not looking at things where you're going oh should have buried that you know like i said he should have done better i thought with a couple of headers but they were weak they were tame and, and that's the the question of it. it there's a you know there's a period here where you think right yeah we did all right against who have been what has been a very very good brentford side without some players with a little bit of uncertainty with a bit of squad lacking in depth but you can say the same for them Um, And and I think, you know, we, it comes back to something we said earlier on in the pod, which is how fast we're going to come back to, to match fitness to speed. That's going to be how, how this pans out. If we, you know, go to Leeds next week and we look like we haven't had a break at all, then we'll probably be all right. (laughs) And if we, if we go there and we look like we don't know what we're doing, then perhaps the, you know, perhaps we will, we will then look at that in a, in a kind of different light. So I think, look, we're going to write this off as, you know, slightly unlucky result which was amplified by emotion and also amplified by the fact that we saw Scott Parker get outmanaged, if you will, by Thomas Frank. Uh, and I think that's added to the emotion of it. But at the same time, we have to go to Leeds and, and now see what how that one pans out because they're going to be smarting from a defeat today to Cardiff. We're smarting from a, a defeat at home to Brentford. That's now a, a very, very big game. And, and on top of... The actual result, I think how we perform in that game is going to be absolutely crucial to how the Western season plays out. Um, one question
2: here from Drew Powell, and, and a nice distraction from talking about um, the defeat. Uh, Jasper's league debut on Saturday, perhaps overlooked by the result. Um, one for the future, um, and and it was encouraging to see uh, Sylvester Jasper take the pitch. He, he's 18 years old. Um, he signed a contract with the club uh, a couple of years ago. Um, he's generally a, a wide player, can play on either side. Um, Dom, I feel like having a player like that uh, uh, coming off the bench. Uh, another youngster could be a a useful option. And um, it's good to see him making his first team appearance. Although, you know, with the news this week about Matt O'Reilly leaving the club, I I don't know. I I kind of have my hopes diminished about youth players and whether they'll actually, even if they do come through, they'll probably just be gone in a couple of years for for pittance.
3: Yeah. I, I think we seem to bring so many, so many good young players through, but the only player who's really, not saying necessarily made an impact on the team, but I think you know, when we probably then managed their career well was probably Ryan Sesson. If you look at, I know Dembele came through, but obviously you ended up losing him on the free contract to Celtic. You'll see at Emerson Hyman, who ended up going to Bournemouth. Obviously, Padger Roberts, you know, Man City come in with the bid. You kind of have to accept it anyway. But I feel like how many good youth players have we seen come through that we've eventually lost for, Yes, you, know, you said, Pissons, and then they've, they've gone on and be worth, you know, Moose Dembele's probably worth 50, 50, 40 million pounds now. Yeah. So it's great to see Jasper come through. But it's all about how now how we manage his development because we either don't give them, we think, oh, we might need to use them. So then we won't then loan them out, which I think often play. I think the was it, the, the, the Tony Khan can't analyse stats wise of League One and Two or something, which I think often harms them not loaning players out because I don't know which team would suit that's changed
1: there. now we've had that conversation come on
3: yeah but i just yeah but why don't we loan our players out to league one and two as often you i know we got elijah at the bio out at i think is it walsall but yep. like I, I just feel like we hold on to these young players and we we, we hold on to them and they play in the under 23s yet yeah, I think a lot of these players would especially if you know a wide player or a central midfield player would do a lot better by being loaned out to a league 1 or league 2 side. So. I just think sometimes we keep hold of them too much, you know. How many Luca Della hardly gone out on loan? I don't even if he has gone out on loan and we know he's got some ability, but we haven't I just feel like we we're, we're bringing great young players through but then we're sort of stopping their development once they get to near first team level.
1: I would just add to that, that the club has got a lot of these decisions right. Yeah? And there's a lot of anger at the moment about Matt O'Reilly. And I think it's fair enough because every time we've seen him play, he's been class. But you look at the likes of Emerson Hyman, as an example, who who took that move. Patrick Roberts, who I still love as a footballer and think he's a a phenomenal player. You know, you look at these players and you think maybe the club got it right. You know, it's hard to look at it because you don't want that to happen. You want your young players, whether they're here or not, you know, to, to go on and be successful. But, you know, Emerson Hyman spent, what, three years at Bournemouth? And then, sold, you know, went, went off to MLS and he's, he's been playing brilliantly for Atlanta. You know, I've watched that side quite a lot and he's very much a part of, of a very decent side over there. But I don't think that's a much higher level than what he's doing at Fulham yeah, or would be playing at Fulham. And I don't think that we're seeing this amount of, I guess, kind of, we, we don't see that much, the club get it wrong that much. And, why and aren't we, why we sometimes to...
2: aren't we offering these players better contracts when they're not really valued and stuff like that are they not getting good enough contract offers would you
1: think that i think i don't think that matt o'reilly has turned down our contract offer because it's not enough money i'll be perfectly honest with you i imagine well no it it seems like a first team football issue but at the same time look at the amount of midfield options we have if we play matt o'reilly in in yesterday's game right and we lose the game because he makes a mistake scott parker gets crucified and and rightly so like you know there's a kind of a balance here we have to look at and Matt O'Reilly isn't probably getting in the side over the amount of midfield depth we have. Like, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I love Matt O'Reilly. I think he's a good player, and I think that he will go on to to have a a very decent career. But at the same time, you starting ahead of Kearney? No. You starting ahead of Harrison Reed? No. You starting then- ahead of uh, of Bobby Reed? No. But then that's why Dom's point is so right. Look,
2: look at one player who went on loan, okay, to the championship last year, Marek Rodak. He did a great job for Rotherham and then he came back in this year and he was instant competition for Marcus Bettinelli and as soon as Marcus had a couple of bad games, Marcus, uh, Marek got his opportunity and now he's a mainstay signed a new contract and I could see him being the, ne- the, the Fulham goalkeeper for the next kind of three to four years and probably get a bigger move than, than Fulham one day because he seems like a class young keeper and surely for someone like Matt O'Reilly, we need to be saying to him, OK, you need to go to League One for a season and prove yourself there. Do really, really well in League One. Then it's going to be really hard for Scott not to, to, to put him in. It's that lack of loans work. It's not it's an it's a tried and trusted system for, for getting youngsters time and getting them in, in, into the league. I, I just don't understand why we're not utilizing
1: it more. I think it's a, I think it's more complicated than that. And, and yes, OK, you're right. You're absolutely spot on about Marek Rodek. And I think that's fair enough. But name me another one. What, as in at at Fulham? Yeah. Well, that's the point. We haven't been doing it enough. Yes, but we have. We used to. We used to loan players out left, right and centre and it didn't come through. This is the thing. Like We used to do this a lot and it it didn't happen. And and you look at the likes of Liverpool. They don't loan loads of players out. They let them develop through the academy system and they... Integrate them with the first team at Melwood, and, and then those players start to get a, a running scene. You don't see mm. Curtis Jones out on loan. Harvey Elliott isn't out on loan. They're, they're players getting a, getting a look in here and there with the first team, you know, and, and I think that that's kind of crucial because the way that they are then integrated into the set at worst look I'm not saying we're doing it right by any stretch of the imagination right? I'm not making a point and being like we're absolutely spot on on this because I think we're not I think we're a long long way from that I'm just saying it's more complicated than being like oh just farm everyone out on loan and then just hope that they come in good because that's I guess, I guess what Liverpool
2: do do differently is that they use they have a lot A Liverpool have a lot more matches so Liverpool will go far naturally in the Carabao Cup they'll they have the and they obviously use the youngsters in the F- fake up this season and you look at Fulham's game in the FA Cup against Villa, for example, Matt O'Reilly didn't play in that. We didn't, we weren't going to win the FA Cup. We didn't care about the FA Cup. We could have got knocked out to Villa and it wouldn't have mattered diddly, even though we you know we got Man City in the next round and it definitely didn't matter at all. But you know, we're not using these players. If, fine. If you're going to go for Liverpool season and integrate them in the first team cool. but then you need to get them some minutes. No, you know, we're doing neither here. We're not getting the minutes and we're not getting them loaned out. And, and we're then get wondering why they're leaving.
1: No, I, I'm not. I'm not wondering why they're leaving. I'm just saying that I, I don't think it's as simple as no. look. Everyone was like, Jay Stansfield, brilliant. Like bring him in, get him in the squad, get him on. No, he came on. He did OK. We haven't seen him since. And and something I was going to mention when we were talking about Sylvester Jasper earlier is we didn't see Jay Stansfield on the bench at the weekend. And, and, and a lot of people were like, oh, if we don't have any attacking options. And we have this, you know, wonder kid banging goals left, right and centre for for the youth teams then maybe he should be having a look in but you know timmy abraham's out alone at bristol rovers uh, and then you know it's it's players like that that you're like oh okay maybe actually when when the going gets tough and when we actually didn't have any options to bring on on the bench on saturday you're a bit like oh maybe could have done with him right and and suddenly then you you look at things like that and you're like oh it's a very complicated balance to get right. And uh, look, I'm, I'm agreeing with you in, in so many ways. I don't think we're getting it right. I'm just not sure it's as easy to fix or to, to rectify as we're kind of making it out to be.
2: Okay. Right. Well, uh, nice. Nothing like a, a fiery debate to uh, end the podcast. Always like it when it gets like that. Um, we'll, we'll leave it there. We'll be back in the week uh, with a leads preview. And I don't want to say it now just like in case it didn't happen or something like that, but very hopeful that we've got a, uh... A special feature in the podcast on Thursday and, and I think you're going to want to hear it and especially uh, for some of our younger fans um, who who maybe might want a, a bit of an education on, on Fulham in the older days um, and, and some of the people who really had a big impact on this club. Um, hopefully it will uh, be released this this week and uh, we definitely want to hear in, in Fulhamish Extra which is going to be out on Thursday. All we need to do is uh, name the podcast. Jack, uh, feel like you haven't been uh, secretary for an Awful long time, but you are today. So, uh, what are your name in the pod?
1: Uh, I'm going to give it to our old friend David Kettlehake, who hey. went with "stung in silence" uh, as oh, his three-word view, which I thought was excellent. Very, very good. There was a couple of stinging ones on Facebook, but I thought that one was a a lovely kind of additional touch.
2: Yeah, and the silence as well. He's he's nailed that. He's he's not wasted any of his three words in that, which is no. uh, which is which is class from David. So yeah, Fulhamish will be back in the week. Uh, hope you all can uh, lick your wounds, and uh, we'll be ready to go uh, this weekend against Leeds. So um, Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Sammy. Don Betts, thank you. It's all right. George Cooper, thank you. Cheers, mate. And we will see you later in the week, you Whites. You Whites.